Amen. Please be seated as we turn now to our catechism study. If you have a catechism, it's question 57. And if you uh, have the uh, outlines that I sent out, then you will find uh, you'll find the catechism question printed there as well that we're doing today. So we're coming to a new commandment today. It's the fourth commandment. There are a lot of things to consider about this commandment. There are more questions in the catechism related to it than to any of the other commandments. For this reason, I think it's very helpful to have an overview of the commandment this week where we will have kind of look at the whole scope of things and just touch on everything, and then we'll break it down in more detail in the weeks to come. Be very general in nature. It'll be a summary of all that we will be looking at. So I hope that this overview will serve to give you a general idea of what the Sabbath is all about and that it will serve as an introduction also for someone who might be interested in learning about the Sabbath that, that doesn't know about what it's all about. So let's begin by confessing together the introductory question to the fourth commandment, which is just really the commandment itself. Question 57, which is the fourth commandment? The fourth commandment is, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work, thou nor thy son nor thy daughter, thy manservant nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Now, the catechism, as we just quoted, is from Exodus chapter 20, from where the Ten Commandments are given in Exodus chapter 20. This is the chapter that is ordinarily used when we're referring to the Ten Commandments or quoting the Ten Commandments. But for our scripture reading today, I thought it would be helpful if I read from the the uh, Ten Commandments from Deuteronomy 5, the other place where we have record of the Ten Commandments. In Exodus, we have the Ten Commandments as they were originally given on Mount Sinai, but in Deuteronomy, we have them as they were restated by Moses after the 40 years of Israel's wandering in the wilderness. It is interesting to see that in Exodus 20, the Lord seems to be restoring the Sabbath which had fallen into disuse while they were in Egypt, while in Deuteronomy 5, he is telling them to keep on observing the Sabbath. So if you know, and, and if you will be carefully observe, you will see that there's another change as well. And I'm going to tell you what that is now. Uh, you can see if you pick it up. I'll mention it later on in the sermon. So please listen as I read to you from God's holy word, Deuteronomy Chapter 5, verse 1 through 22. And Moses called all Israel and said to them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and judgments which I speak in your hearing today, that you may learn them and be careful to observe them. The Lord our God made a covenant with us in Horeb. The Lord did not make this covenant with our fathers, but with us, those who are here today, 
all of us who are alive. The Lord talked with you face to face on the mountain from the midst of the fire. I stood between the Lord and you at that time to declare to you the word of the Lord. For you were afraid because of the fire, and you did not go up to the, up the mountain. He said, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow to them nor bow down to them nor serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your ox, nor your donkey, nor any of your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. And remember that you are a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out from there by a mighty hand and by an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God has commanded you, that your days may be long and that it may be well with you in the land which the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, and you shall not desire your neighbor's house, his field, his male servant, his female servant, his ox, his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. These words the Lord spoke to all your assembly in the mountain from the midst of the fire, the cloud, and the thick darkness with a loud voice, and he added no more. And he wrote them on two tablets of stone and gave them to me. May God bless to us the reading of his holy and infallible word. The scriptures were written for our admonition. So whenever we read them, we should be looking to see how do these words apply to us. That's what I want to do with the fourth commandment today, to look in a very general way at how it applies to us as God's people today. I'll proceed by making three observations about the fourth commandment that petition that, that pertain to its observance. First, observe that the fourth commandment is indeed one of the Ten Commandments. Now, what does that have to do with anything? Well, that means that it is a moral commandment and so binding on all people in all ages. The Ten Commandments are a summary of the moral law of God. There are three kinds of law in Scripture, moral, ceremonial, and judicial. The moral commandments are those commandments that are rooted in who we are as human beings, things that are unchangeably right or wrong. There there are will never come a time, for example, when it will be okay for us to murder each other or a time when it will be okay for us to worship idols. 
these things are always wrong. Up until about a hundred years ago, virtually every Christian denomination recognized that the Ten Commandments were to be obeyed today. Baptists, Presbyterians, Dutch Reformed, Anglicans, Lutherans, Congregationalists, and Methodists all had the Ten Commandments in their catechisms and liturgies and such. The ceremonial commandments are different. The ceremonial commandments are the ones that have to do with rituals. They're called the law of commandments contained in ordinances. In other words, they were related to particular ordinances of worship rather than to what is right and wrong for a person to do or not do. Uh, Of course, it is wrong to disobey ceremonial laws because you're not obeying God who gave you the ordinance. But the violation is not in the thing itself. For instance, it's not wrong in itself to eat pork. But it was wrong for the Jews because it was a ritual law, part of the ritual law that he had given them for a time. But it's not something that is morally wrong. So that as soon as God said that he had cleansed all meats and we could eat pork. And uh, there were many ceremonial laws under the Old Testament. They had food laws. They had clean and unclean people laws where if someone had leprosy or if they had an issue of blood or a woman during her monthly time was uh, considered to be unclean during that time. They had laws about incense. They had laws about musical instruments, laws about sacrifices and offerings, as well as laws about various Sabbaths that we don't have today, such as the Passover or the Feast of Tabernacles that had to do with God's deliverance of them as a people bringing them out of Egypt into the Promised Land. Under the New Testament, there are far less ceremonies. There is baptism and the Lord's Supper and things like laying on of hands to ordain officers. These ceremonies are not part of the moral law, but are commandments contained in ordinances. And then there are judicial laws. A judicial law is one that specifies penalties that God has appointed for sins and for crimes in the community. For example, there were laws about inheritance rights or criminal negligence, like not keeping control of an ox that gores people. Our government ought to learn about justice from these laws. And in fact, our laws are basically founded in our society. They were originally founded. We've moved away from it. But on many of these laws, but they're they're not to be carried over in a wooden fashion. Every society must establish penalties for things that pertain to their society using Old Testament law as guidance for the balance of justice and for wisdom with the idea that there is to be an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth when it comes to penalties and life for life. That the fourth commandment is part of the Ten Commandments means that it is a moral commandment. One of those unchanging laws that pertain to us as human beings in all ages and places of the world. It means that it is that it is among those laws that all Christians ought to recognize as pertaining to us today. As I said, up to about 100 years ago, virtually all Christian denominations held that the Ten Commandments for us were for us to keep. 
As Christians, it was understood that the fourth commandment was to be observed by keeping Sunday holy. And even the laws of our land reflected this in most Christian nations, including our own. Even in Nova Scotia, it was only a few years ago that they decided to allow stores to be open on the Lord's Day. Granted, a lot of people were slack in observing this Sunday, but they at least recognized that it ought to be observed. Today, all this has changed. Today, most Christians have set aside the Ten Commandments, and in particular, the Fourth Commandment. We went from slackness in keeping it to no longer even recognizing it as a day that is to be kept. We did that first in our larger society, and now we see more and more churches doing the same. It is a sad thing because it is part of God's moral law. Now, I might mention here an important thing for us right now in our present time, and that is that with this fourth commandment, um, there is a ceremonial aspect to it. And that would be the things that God has appointed for us to do on the day. And you see, in the Old Testament, he appointed a morning and evening sacrifice. Well, they had that every day, but a double morning and evening sacrifice on the Sabbath day because it was a holy day and such things. He had a, uh, also in Leviticus, there was appointed a holy convocation when people would gather together on that day. And interestingly, that holy convocation carries over into the New Testament. But certainly the morning and evening sacrifices, as far as the offerings that were prescribed, that would be modified and changed. So there's uh, variations that occur ceremonially, but the day itself is a holy day to the Lord is to be observed. One other thing that was changed that we'll look at too a little bit later is the day was changed because that was something that God appointed by ordinance. That every seven days is to be observed is a moral thing, but which day is a ceremonial thing that pertains to God's works. So uh, just an important thing for us to consider. That it is a moral commandment, though, that the Sabbath is a moral commandment, can be seen by the fact that, as with the other Ten Commandments, it is rooted in that which was required of us before the fall. It was not added after the fall, But it goes all the way back to creation. In Exodus 20, which we quoted when we reviewed the Catechism, the Lord actually states that we are to keep the Sabbath holy because He sanctified the seventh day when He made the world. With the fourth commandment, He mentions in particular that they are to remember it to keep it holy. The Sabbath was not a new institution at Sinai, but it was a day that had already been given, already instituted from the beginning, and therefore needed to be remembered, not instituted, not brought into, brought into uh, practice or, or, or something newly to be done, but it was something old that was to be remembered. In fact, all the Ten Commandments are not new requirements. All of them are rooted in what was required from the beginning at creation. There are things that, they are things that everyone ought to know and ought to have been obeying all the way along. But because of sin, the Lord had to come and spell out the Ten Commandments for us. It became necessary, for example, to tell us not to worship other gods, because people were worshiping other gods. should have never done that. The Lord had to say, don't steal, don't kill, don't covet, 
because people were stealing and killing and coveting, something they should have known all along. The commandment about adultery and the Sabbath are similar to each other because they are both based on creation ordinances that men have violated. Before the fall, we did not have to be told to keep the Sabbath or that we should not commit adultery. There was not a command to do either or or not to commit adultery. God had instituted the Sabbath in marriage. So, of course, it would be wrong to work on the Sabbath or to commit adultery, both the Lord's Day and marriage were holy to God. They were to be kept pure and holy. Interestingly, when Jesus speaks about marriage and the Sabbath, where does he go? He goes back to creation. He shows that divorce is wrong. Why? Because from the beginning, it was not so. God appointed that a man would leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and that the two would become one flesh. With the Sabbath... It was wrong to put binding restrictions on people as the Pharisees were doing in his day, on that day, because in the beginning, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. They had turned it around so that it was as if this day was something that that grinds people and binds them rather than a day that, that pulls them out of their ordinary labors and their ordinary recreations so that they can spend time before God and be blessed in, in, in him. If, if we look back at Genesis 2, we can see where the Lord first instituted the Sabbath. Again, before the fall. Starting in Genesis 2.1, it says, Thus the heavens and the earth and all the hosts of them were finished, and on the seventh day God ended his work which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work which God had created and made. As Jesus points out, God did not bless and sanctify the seventh day for its own sake. How does a day know that it's blessed? Or for, he he, he did not do it for its own sake. Like, what sense would it make to have a day that for its own sake was blessed? He blessed it and sanctified it for our sake. It was for us to observe and enjoy each week, not just for God. He was very kind and gracious to us. This is where the seven-day week had its start. It goes right back to the beginning. We don't have time to look at this in detail now, but we'll look at it in more detail in future sermons. And of course, as the fourth commandment is moral, we should expect that it not only was instituted at creation, but also that it continues into our day. And indeed it does. I have already mentioned how Jesus sought to correct abuses related to all the commandments and in particular to those related to the fourth commandment. He would not have taught about it as much as he did if it was to fall in, if he knew it was going to fall into disuse. He taught about it because he wanted his people to observe it properly. He was making correctives of the Sabbath. Some people look at his correctives and say that he's doing away with the Sabbath. He's not at all. He's purifying it and saying it's to be kept this way, not this way. Compare this to how he spoke in contrast to the, to the ceremonial law. He taught, when he taught about ceremonial matters, he would say things like that they were passing away. He reminded the people that it was not what goes into their body that really defiles them, but it's what comes out. 
He, he also declared that worship will no longer be at uh, the temple at Jerusalem, which was a thing that was a furious debate between the Samaritans and the Jews. The Jews were right. It was to be at Jerusalem. But he says it's not going to be that way anymore. We're going to, God, people will worship in spirit and truth now. By spirit and truth, he meant that it would not be based on rituals at the temple, but in reality of his, in the reality of his finished work in every place. So we know that the Sabbath continues for us because Jesus taught us how to keep it. He, he refined it because he was looking at it as something ongoing to be kept in his kingdom. And we know as well that it contains, we, we know that it contains for us, continues for us because the Bible says that it continues. In Hebrews 4, which I read to you earlier, it tells us that there is a rest that remains for the people of God. Hebrews 4.9 says that there remains therefore a rest for the people of God, and the word in the original is sabbatismos, the word that rest is translated rest there. Sabbatismos, a Sabbath rest. The ceremonial Sabbaths, like Passover or Pentecost, do not continue, but the observance of one day in seven that was instituted at creation, that continues. I'll have more to say about this in the future sermons too. Now, having seen that the Sabbath is a moral commandment that uh, therefore began at creation and that continues into the end of the world, I want to move on to a second observation about this commandment. Observe that the commandment calls for us to remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Under this heading, we'll look first at what it means by the Sabbath day, then at what it means to remember it, and finally at what it means to keep it holy. So we're going to be looking at some of those specific things in the commandment, what it means by the Sabbath day, what it means to remember it, and what it means to keep it holy. So first, what is meant by the Sabbath day? Well, the Sabbath day is the day that God finished his work. The word Sabbath means rest. God rested from his work or Sabbath from it, as it says in Genesis 2 and in Exodus 20, uses the word that uh, for the Sabbath. You take a Sabbath when you stop working on something. And that can be for one of either one of two reasons. Because you're tired and you need a break, so you take a Sabbath and then you go back to work again in a day or two or whatever. Or because the other reason is that you would take a Sabbath is because you finished the work. There's no more work to do. You're done. The project's over and there's no more to be done. So you have rested. You have Sabbathed, a permanent Sabbath in that case. Our Lord, of course, does not get weary. So for him, the Sabbath that he took on the seventh day was a Sabbath of finishing his work. He had done all. So he stopped working because there was no more to do. He had finished it and completed it. There was, there was no more creating to do. He actually finished the work on the sixth day, but the seventh day was the first full day of rest. So he, when he, the day that he did no more work, and we're told that it was the seventh day that was sanctified as the day of rest. He set apart the seventh day, that is, every seventh day, from, this, from the other days of the week to remember his finished work of creation. He might have made an annual holiday 
instead of a weekly one, the way he did with other matters like Passover. But creation, as well as man's nature, called for a weekly holiday of remembrance. So that is what God instituted for us. Now let's look at what it means to remember the day. So we're looking at remember now. To remember the Sabbath day is to observe it. The word remember is used in the same way that we use it when we ask someone how they remembered their anniversary. We don't mean, how did you come to think that, hey, I actually had my anniversary in that case. But we remember, how did, we, we mean, how did you observe it? Also in the way that we use it to say, did you remember your mother's birthday? Then we're using it, you see, in the other way. Did you, did you forget or did you remember? Now, Exodus 20 says that we are to remember the Sabbath day, while Deuteronomy 5 says we are to observe it. This change may be due to the fact that at Sinai, the Lord tells them to remember the Sabbath day because he was calling those who had largely forgotten it during the time in Egypt to start observing it. Whereas in Deuteronomy 5, 40 years later, he tells them to observe it because they had been observing it for the past 40 years, whether they wanted to or not, because the manna didn't come on the, um, on the Sabbath day. So they had been observing it, and he tells them to continue to observe it, as it were. One thing is clear. The Lord does not present the weekly Sabbath as a new thing at Sinai, but as something that they should have already been observing. Before the Ten Commandments were even issued, the Lord had already arranged it that the manna would only be provided for six days, and that on the sixth day they would be able to gather twice as much and that it would be preserved for eating on the seventh day. If you remember, it bred worms and stank when uh, they tried to keep it overnight on any of the other days. So the Sabbath was not something new. It was something that God made for man at creation. And the command is that we are to remember it. God set that day apart at creation. Therefore, human beings are to have that day set apart. And now let us look at how we are to observe the Sabbath. It says that we are to keep it holy. Now, what does it mean to keep a day holy? Well, the word holy is the same in meaning as the word sanctify or hallow. In the original Hebrew, it has the same root. Same with Greek. In the Greek language, it's consistently the same root. When something is holy, it means it is something that is dedicated exclusively to the Lord. For example, if a cooking pot was set apart as holy, it was not used for ordinary cooking, like making your soup or something. It was only used in the service of the temple by the priests and those who were holy. Likewise, the incense that was used in the rituals at the temple was holy, and that meant that it was not to be used for any other purpose. In fact, if someone used it for another purpose, they were in grave trouble. So if that Sabbath is kept holy, if it means that it is a day that is set apart to the Lord in a way that other days are not. It has some kind of a special set-apartness to God. Some people will be very quick to point out that every day belongs to the Lord, and indeed every day does. But the Sabbath day belongs to Him in a way that other days do not belong to Him. It is the day that we spend in public and private worship. 
not while we're hoeing the garden or working at the office, but in which we lay aside those other things so that the day is kept holy unto the Lord. The Lord spells it out for us very plainly now that we're fallen and need it spelled out. And he says, so plain, six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. But the Sabbath day is the Lord thy God's. In it thou shalt not do any work. And so on. This is what people should have been doing again for all along. They should have sanctified the day. But sin has made it necessary for the Lord to tell them that if you're going to keep the day holy, that means you don't work on it. You say, well, oh, I keep it holy in a different way. No, if setting the day apart is holy, then you don't work on that day. He, he spells that out in very plain language because sinners are very crafty and they dodge around things to get their own way. Some people zero in on this prohibition against labor and suppose that the Sabbath is only about physical rest. That's wrong too. It certainly does include that. But the purpose of resting from your labors is not so you can be idle, but so that you can worship the Lord. The fact that the day was sanctified and is to be kept holy does not allow it to become a day of sleeping and amusement. A holy day is a day of worship dedicated to the Lord. We should note that in the law, there were double the number of sacrifices required on the Sabbath day. In other words, worship was intensified on that day. Uh, And besides that, there was to be a holy convocation each Lord's day, according to Leviticus 23, an assembly of worship to the Lord. We'll be looking at that a lot more in future sermons. Israel didn't keep that for many of their years. They didn't even keep the Passover for a lot of the years of their uh, their, their time when they had the land and everything. But um, it was instituted by God as every week, just like we have today, there was to be an assembly in their, in their local places, a holy convocation. But none of this is to say that it was not also a day to give our bodies and minds rest from the norm, their normal labors and recreations. We are creatures and our bodies need rest. Those who require others to work for them are not only sinning against God by taking away from his holy day, but they're also sinning directly against their neighbor by making them work on the day that God appointed for them to rest. God made this day for us in every way to rest and to draw near to him in worship. It is a day that God gave to us. He's very kind to us. He has blessed us. And we should receive it with thanksgiving. It is such a shameful thing. It shows our our wicked heart that instead of receiving his gift with thanksgiving, that we push it away. And it's uh, like a a husband that comes to to spend time with his wife. And she says, well, I've got other things to do. I don't want to do that. I want to be, I want to do my own thing. Get away from me. It's very, very ungrateful, very wicked. We should, we should cherish the day. We should make the most of it. It's a day when, when God communes with us. But anyway, we'll get into that more as we, as we move on in our series. Now let's move on to the third observation. Observe that as redemptive history unfolded, there was another and still greater work of God to remember on the Sabbath day. As we have seen at first, 
the Sabbath was instituted to remember how the Lord had finished his work of creation. Okay, remember we looked at that as expressed in Exodus 20. It is to be kept holy to the Lord because in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth, the sea and all that in them is, and rested on the seventh day. Wherefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. We're to use this day to rejoice in our Creator who made us and who made the whole world for us and made it very good. We're to worship him and acknowledge him and we're to sit at his feet and to learn of him on the Sabbath. We rejoice in his finished work of creation. The completion of God's work of creation is what started the whole thing. But if you look at Deuteronomy 5, you will notice that there is a different reason given for remembering the Sabbath. Now, this is, you remember when I first read the passage of Deuteronomy 5 to you, I told you that to look for another difference between, there's the one that remember in Exodus and observe in Deuteronomy. And I said, there's another difference as well. See if you can find it. So did you notice the other difference? In Deuteronomy 5, God commands the observance of the Sabbath because he brought them out of Egypt and into the promised land. They were to remember his finished work of redeeming them out of Egypt and planting them in the land. Look at what it says in Deuteronomy 5.15. Instead of mentioning the work of creation, he says, verse 15, And remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out from there by a mighty hand and by an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. They were to keep it not only because of creation, the original reason, but also because the Lord had redeemed them, a new reason. This same reason was also given in Exodus 31, verse 13, where the Lord says, Speak also to the children of Israel, saying, Surely my Sabbaths you shall keep, for it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies you. So the Sabbath marks them out by them observing, and it would include the other Sabbaths that they were given to here, um, but it marks them out as a people that are themselves sanctified. As they sanctify God's day, it shows that God has sanctified them and that they are set apart to God as a holy people, while other people who reject his commandments are not. They were to keep his day holy because he made them holy to himself. There was a sense in which the Lord had to break his Sabbath rest in order to redeem them. Remember, after he created all things in six days, that I explained to you that he finished his work of creation. But because of our sin, he had to go back to work again. He had to recreate us by the work of redemption. So after he had completed this work of creating them anew, he added redemption as an additional reason to keep the Sabbath holy. He had completed his work of delivering them out of Egypt and would complete the work of establishing them in the foreign land, in, 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 the, in the promised land. So no longer was there to be just one work of God to remember, the work of creation, but now two works, creation 
and redemption out of Egypt. So the Sabbath now had two reasons to it. One listed in Exodus 20, the other listed in Deuteronomy 5. However, now that Jesus has come, we have yet another work of God to remember. Actually, it too is a work of redemption in which we are created anew. God indeed redeemed his people and brought them out of Egypt with a mighty hand and brought them into their inheritance in the promised land. But now he has completed the work of atonement for our sins so that we can be his people forever in glory. He has sent the true Lamb of God from heaven to bear the sins of the world. He has sent Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. Jesus has completed the work of redemption. And what a work it was. God accepted his sacrifice and Jesus has entered into his rest. As Hebrews 1.3 says, He has sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Why? Because he himself purged our sins. He is not purging our sins, but he has purged our sins and he sat down at the right hand of God. As it says in Hebrews 4.10, he has entered his rest and has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. Jesus has completed a work that is even greater than the work of creation of the world and greater than the work of redemption out of Egypt. And that work is finished and he has entered into his sabbatismos, his Sabbath rest. And so for us, there remains a Sabbath rest, as it says in Hebrews 4.9. The work that is now commemorated is so much more grand, so much more glorious than either creation or redemption out of Egypt, that it has overtaken actually the ordinary Sabbath day. He has set us free from sin to be his people and to come to his throne of grace in the Holy of Holies. What was only done by ritual in the Old Testament. This is the great work that is spelled out in the entire epistle to the Hebrews. The epistle that written to Hebrews, to Jews, to distinguish the Old Covenant from the New Covenant. It shows how the worship of the Old Covenant has been replaced by the worship of the new covenant. We go from worshiping at the temple with priests and offerings and sacrifices that can only ritually cleanse from sin in a ceremonial way to now worshiping in spirit and truth through the preaching of the gospel that declares to us the full, complete forgiveness of sin through Jesus Christ who was crucified for us. This new work transferred the Sabbath from, for us from the seventh day of the week when God finished creating the world to the first day of the week when Jesus first rested from his work of redemption, when he rose from the dead, when it was complete. It was predicted in Psalm 22 that Jesus would come after he had been raised from the dead, after God had answered him, he said that he would come to the great assembly, the church, and lead us in praise. And he did just that 
when his disciples were assembled together on the first day of the week, the day that he rose from the dead, as it is recorded in John 20. It goes on to show that he came to them again after that first day when he rose from the dead, on the following first day of the week, when Thomas was also present. He wasn't with them the first time. And he did just what Psalm 22 said he would do both times. Psalm 22 is quoted in Hebrews 2.12 as what our Lord Jesus, who sanctifies us to the Father, does. I will declare your name to my brethren. He declares God's name as the, the one who has accepted his sacrifice, who has received us, who has redeemed us. What God has done, this great work of redemption. Just as we would declare God as creator, Jesus declares him as redeemer. So he says, I will declare your name to my brethren in the midst of the assembly, in the church. I will sing praise to you. And he continued this pattern of blessing of the first day of the week when he poured out the Holy Spirit on his church on the first day of the week. As recorded in Acts 2, he did that on the day of Pentecost, which was always on the first day of the week. He chose the Lord's day when the disciples were assembled together to show that it was on that day that we can seek to be blessed the, the, we look for the blessed work of the Holy Spirit when, as we declare the gospel and as we sing praise to God. Jesus calls us together to declare the gospel, to declare God's name, to preach the, the holy name of God and his redemptive work, and to praise him for what he has done. And just what did he do? What did his servants do when they were filled with the Spirit on the first day? The two things that Jesus does, talking about Pentecost still, and that he keeps on doing through the ministers of the word and through his people on the first day of the week. They preached the gospel and they praised God for what he had done. And they did it in all different languages. Remember, there were the tongues that came and they heard them speak the wonderful works of God. What was the most wonderful work of all? It was what Jesus had just done. And they also praised God for what he had done. So you see that Jesus Christ himself established the pattern of worship on the first day of the week for us in the new covenant. Now we'll look at that in a lot more detail in future weeks. If you're unfamiliar with this, you probably have a lot of questions. But here you have a summary of the facts. We also have scriptural proof that the church continued to observe the Lord's day. For some time, the church, which at first was all Jewish, continued to practice circumcision and also to worship both on the first day of the week and the seventh day. But there was never any dispute among those who had come to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. At least we have no record of any dispute in those early days about continuing to worship on the Lord's day. What we have instead, as would be expected, because there was, uh, as would be expected since there was no dispute, is a simple reference to the fact. In other words, if there was a dispute like there was with circumcision, there would be all these councils and arguments and parties going this way and that way. But if everyone just observed the first day from the time it started, from the time that Jesus rose from the dead, and there's no dispute about it that we see in the early church, then we can gather from that that, um, that that there wasn't a ruckus that everyone received that. And why wouldn't they? It was clear. Jesus rose from the dead. He poured out his spirit on that day. 
So in Acts 20, for example, we see that, that it was just kept. We have scriptural proof of it. We find Paul waiting at Troas to meet with the church. He waited until the first day of the week when the church gathered to break bread. He had to wait for almost a whole week. He pre- and then what does he do when they gather? He preaches the word to them. They break bread, they have the Lord's Supper, and Paul preaches the word to them. There is, there is dispute about whether the Sabbath on the seventh day and the other Jewish Sabbaths were to be continued to be kept. And of course, even more dispute about whether circumcision and Jewish ceremonies were to be imposed on the Gentiles or not. Like, were they supposed to keep all the, Sabbath, the feast days and the, all, all the other Sabbaths? God does not give a direct oracle about this. But the church concludes, as recorded in Scripture, that Gentiles are not required to be circumcised. And then the epistles that come out of this under inspiration, such as Galatians and Hebrews, declare by the authority of the Holy Spirit that Jewish ceremonies, which include Jewish holy days and the seventh day Sabbath on the seventh day, are not imposed on the Gentiles. Hebrews makes it clear that the new covenant does away with the shadows of the old covenant. There is new worship and with it a new Sabbath rest for the people of God. The fourth commandment of a Sabbath every seventh day is still kept. It's part of the moral law. But now it is on the first day of the week, a part that was instituted by God that could be changed from one day to another, based on the fact that now there is a greater work to be remembered that God has finished. So now that the Lord has finished his work of creating us anew in Christ Jesus, we have even more reason to keep the Sabbath holy, certainly than, say, Noah did, and greater reason than Israel did, who had been redeemed out of Egypt also, but now we have the, the Jesus has been raised from the dead, having finished our work of redemption. All things have become new. There is a new day, the Lord's day, as we often call it. The, really, the, the Sabbath on the seventh day could have been called the Lord's day as well. It was the Lord's day. But we distinguish between the Sabbath of the Jews on the seventh day and the Sabbath now that Jesus has finished his work, often calling it the Lord's Day. Sometimes we call it the Christian Sabbath as well. But this is the day that the Lord has made. Psalm 118 says, Let us rejoice and be glad in it. It is the day when God made, if you look at Psalm 118, the day when God made the stone that the builders rejected, the chief cornerstone. By raising that stone from the dead, and declaring him to be Lord in Christ forever, he became the foundation of all of our hopes, of all of our forgiveness, of our complete salvation, of our justification and acceptance with God. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Please stand for prayer. Our most gracious Heavenly Father, how we thank you and praise you that you have given us a day a a day that is for us, a day that is holy unto you, a day that is sanctified from all the other days that we can set apart in order to come before you, Lord, and to worship you and to praise you. We praise you also that it is a day that you blessed, 
a day when you have given us ordinances that bring special blessing to us. The ordinance uh, that we have now, the ordinances of, of preaching of the word and of singing praise to you and of coming to the, the holy sacrament, to the Lord's Supper. We thank you, O Lord, that you have been pleased to give us these things. And we pray, O Lord, that you would restore the fullness of our Sabbath days, of the Lord's Day. Father, we have been hindered now where we're not able to gather together around the Lord's table. We're not able to gather as an assembly of your people and lift up our voices together to you, Lord. We pray, O Lord, that you would be pleased, O Lord, to restore us again, to restore these things to us, O Lord. For we see that all across the world, Lord, that there is a, uh, an interruption to these things in so many ways. We pray, O Lord, that you would have mercy on us and that you would give us wisdom in these days. Lord, we thank you so much for your holy day. And we pray that we would yearn for your courts the way your people did when they were in exile. Father, that we would cry out to you and that we would seek to to receive the blessings that you have given us. We thank you, O Lord, that what you have appointed now is something that is much more transferable to to different places and different times and seasons. And we pray, O Lord, that you would be with us, O Lord, and that you would help us to keep your day holy in the way that you have appointed Oh, Lord, thank you so much for giving us such a day. May we make the most of it, Lord, wherever we are, whether we're on an island by ourselves or whether we're in a group of a a crowded city. We pray, oh, Lord, that you would help us to remember the Sabbath day, to keep it holy, and that we would be blessed in this day. Father, let us rejoice and be glad in the finished work of Jesus Christ and sing praises to your holy name. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.